The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Being Bumo, a podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. Welcome back to another episode of Being Bumo. Today we are talking about a topic that we really haven't covered here yet, and that is the subject of the loss of a child. Our guest today, Megan Haluka, has gone through what no mother or parent could even imagine going through. Megan Haluka is a mother of six, in which five of them are still here. Megan encourages and supports grieving mothers that though the worst thing has happened to them, their life is not over. She also experienced PTSD from finding her daughter Aria when she died and has done the work to find healing in her brain and her life. From this, Megan wants everyone to know that PTSD is not a life sentence and that healing is possible. Through her experience of the death of her daughter, Aria, Megan has learned tools and ways of shifting grief so that it can become just a little bit lighter and easier to live with. Because Megan has done the deep work of grief, made space and time for her grief, she has now room for joy, laughter, hope, and so much fun in her life. She will never forget her daughter, Aria, and they talk about her often as a family. Now she helps her clients carry their grief instead of suffering with grief and truly learning how to walk side by side with both grief and joy. Welcome to Being Bumo, Megan. It is an honor to be speaking to you today. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And I see, or you just told me that you have a newborn baby on your lap. So quick disclaimer, if you hear a little noise here and there, that is her newborn baby. You are a super mama. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it works out. And I think hopefully hopefully she'll sleep the whole time. So... (laughs) And if she doesn't, totally fine. It's very on brand of being Bumo to have kids interrupt. It's totally, totally normal here. So you are a busy mama of seven in which six of them are still here, which we'll get into in a bit. But I would love to know just for starters, what is the first thing that you did this morning when you woke up? With a newborn baby, it's nursing. (laughs) Basically, she's a week old, so she's really little. Um, And then basically just go sit on the living room chair. My husband made me breakfast. So that's what I did today. I mean, I wouldn't imagine you doing anything else but feeding your baby. Are you sleeping, by the way, right now? Because you just gave birth? Working on it. Okay. <laughs> well, you look amazing, totally just like glowing. So you got that new well, mama you. glow. <laughs> so to get started, can you share with us a little bit about yourself and your story of loss and grief? Yeah, it's almost been five years that my daughter Aria died, but I am, so I'll just give a little bit about myself and then I can talk about that. I am a grief coach, a bereaved mom, like you said, a mom of seven. I've been married to my husband, Justin, uh, for 10 years and we live in Minnesota, just learning how to live and learning how to fully embrace life after we, I feel like my daughter's death triggered that of really diving into how do we live every moment of every day because we don't know when things will change and when, you know, our life can kind of fall apart. It's been five years in May. So May 27th will be five years 
that Aria died. She was 15 months old. She just died in the night, similar to SIDS, but after a year, it's SUDC. So there was no cause, no reason for her death. And obviously when your child dies, your world turns upside down, your world falls apart. I had never known grief to that extent even. And I didn't really feel like I knew grief at all much in my life. I was 23 years old. And then four weeks later, after Aria died, our next daughter was born. So it was a very intense time in my life where it was like, how do you say goodbye to one daughter and hello to another in four weeks time? It was super intense trying to figure out what is grief? How do you grieve? All the worries and fears that many people have of, am I grieving correctly? Am I doing this right? Am I... I don't even know what's going on with me. I'm crazy. What's wrong? You know, all of that stuff that comes up with grief. That is an incredible story. And that is something that a lot of parents, kind of their worst nightmare, something that they can't even imagine or fathom. I am so, so sorry about your loss, but wow, what a powerful story and way that you could actually help others actually go through grief. And I know that's the work that you do and you focus on now is helping other mothers. So thank you for giving back with what you've lost and really being able to fulfill other people that are actually walking through this currently. So let's talk about grief because you mentioned that you felt like you didn't really understand grief until this particular experience. Where do you even start with that? Because grief is something that you don't really know until you experience it yourself. And so when you were in that moment going through that, what was it like for you? It's really hard. The hardest thing I've ever been through. And it's really like you're changed. You're a different person and you don't want to be the different person. You want to be who you were before. And so your life feels really hopeless. You want your child back. That's all you want is to to have them back, to hold them again, to, you know, all these things. And so often you feel alone, you feel crazy. Like one moment you can be fine. The next moment you can be crying your eyes out the next moment, fine. Again, you can feel angry one moment, sad. The next, like every single moment is the possibilities of any emotion is there. And it's like, what is going on with me? How do I even navigate all of these emotions that come up? And I think one thing I didn't realize was how deep the pain of grief is, like how far deep it goes. Like you can't even express it. And then how long it lasts. Like I remember because I had the experience of someone I knew who had lost a child before me, I didn't understand that at five months after your child dies, you are still like just trying to survive every day. In my mind, I thought, okay, maybe by five months, they're, you know, getting a little bit more on their feet, whatever. But when then, when I got to five months, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm still just trying to survive every day. I can hardly get through every day. And I didn't understand how long it lasts. And then how society puts on this pressure of people to like, get better, to heal, to move on, to pick themselves up. Like, what's wrong with you? How come you're stuck in the past, quote unquote? You know, like people are so pushing people to to be themselves again when they're never going to be themselves again. And for me, it was it, it was just overwhelming with all of the emotions and not knowing, am I ever going to be happy again? Am I ever? It felt impossible. It felt like 
that's not even possible for me because how can you be happy when your daughter is dead, when you cannot hold your daughter again? And so there's just so many emotions and so much that goes on that feels really confusing. And I would imagine it was hard because you also had at that time five other children that you still had to look after. Obviously, you you had your partner, as you mentioned, to help you during these times, but you're their mom. And so how how was that as far as like, you knew that you had to kind of put this strong face on for them, right? But then at the same time, you're literally just trying to survive at that moment. Once I became a mom, I had less time to myself and family duties became my new normal. Something as simple as planning my daughter's birthday became nearly impossible to do until I found Be Busy. Be Busy is an app built by a busy mom for busy moms because she knows how valuable our time is. You can book services on Be Busy from cake artists to personal trainers in as little as three clicks. There are even balloon artists on the app if you want to make your event that much more special. Be Busy has upfront pricing, so I don't have to search on the internet or call a bunch of places. I absolutely love the easy to use platform and being able to book services through an app that I trust. This is for all of my mom friends who want to book from a trusted platform with great talent. Be Busy has provided my family with amazing service and I can't wait to continue to use them. Download Be Busy, B-E-E-B-I-Z-Y on the App Store or Google Play Store and get the service you need. Hi, I'm Shanae Alexander, host of Press Send, a podcast and more importantly, a safe and hilarious place for candid conversations about the scary, funny, heartbreaking, but always intriguing questions that make us all human. Each week, me and a new best friend you haven't met yet field your questions across any and all topics and offer our take on the matter with plenty of humor, heart, and badassery along the way. We launch a new episode of Press Send every Wednesday. We'll see you there. So how was that for you? How were you able to be a mom at the same time while going through this? I couldn't have done it without the help of other people. I definitely had to lean on others. Um, My friends were amazing in supporting me, being able to like get to therapy. They would watch my kids, that kind of stuff. I definitely could not have done it without the support that I had. But I also think that it's just really hard. It's really hard to, you're trying to hold your world together when everything seems like it's falling apart everywhere. And then you're like, your kids are grieving, you're grieving, your husband's grieving, everybody's grieving. And how do you hold space for all of those people, including yourself? Because moms tend to put themselves last, you know, especially with this kind of grief, like, no, I have to take care of everyone else. And I guess for me, I just, I knew that I needed to take care of myself because I wanted to be able to care for my kids because I couldn't, I couldn't function. I was also diagnosed with PTSD um, because I was the one that found her in the morning. So that trauma and grief really incapacitated me. It made me not be able to function, not be able to care for my children in the way that I wanted to. And so I really spent, it was like my job to care for myself, to care for my trauma, to spend time with my grief. For me, that included like getting a babysitter for my kids so I could go home and go through Aria's clothes. And like, that was my time where I could spend with Aria. But then it's also, you don't have to help your children grieve on their own. They went to play therapy and 
that was amazing for them. Um, a place where they could work their grief out, play, play it with uh, somebody who knows how to help them process it and work through it. And just really like trying to balance caring for myself and holding space for my kids and letting them like so much, so often I wanted to like force it out of them, you know, like, okay, let's talk about the day Aria died. And it's like, kids don't do that. It had to come up when they were ready to talk, when and if, and if I could hold that space and just have that quiet moment of like, then they bring it up and then we can talk about it and we can, you know, work through it. But it's just, I mean, it's going to look different for everybody, but for me, it was very important for me to take care of myself so that I could hold that space for my kids. And how old were your kids when this happened? So my oldest was four. I had two boys, four and two and a half year old. And then Aria was 15 months old. Got so it. then the next one was a newborn. You mentioned therapy with the children. Is this something that you were familiar with or something that you're like, okay, my kids need help navigating during this time. So you kind of explored it. How did you know that this is what your kids needed at the time? I didn't know anything about it. When Aria died, I was the type of person who was like, I cannot do this on my own for myself, for therapy. I need help. I need to do something. Like So I immediately reached out for help. Um, for my kids, I can't remember how it came about for sure. Maybe I asked my therapist, like, is there anybody who could help my kids? Is there any, you know, what are the options for my kids? And a lot of times when they're so little, it is play therapy that they do. So kids process trauma and their experiences through play. And so that's when I begin to learn about play and how important it is for children and allowing them to just have that space and that time to work through things. So it was amazing for our kids and they still talk about it. They still talk about their therapists who they saw. I think it was really helpful for them. What is play therapy? Like, can you give us an example of what they would do during play therapy? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Um, like the thing she would tell us that I'm like, I don't know if I'd make that connection with that, but whatever, you know, <laughs> she's the one who is working with them. So basically it was just a big, huge room with a bunch of toys that they could do whatever they wanted. And she just kind of guided them. She never forced them to do anything, never told them what to do, but she like played with them and like encouraged their play. And then she watched for different signs and different ways of them processing what was going on with them. So she, the one thing I remember for one of my kids was like, he would play with like fire trucks and police cars a lot. And that was, you know, there was a lot of fire trucks and police cars that came to our house that day. So she could watch him, how he processed with those things over and over and over again. And I'm like, well, is it just because he likes fire trucks and police cars or is it because he's processing? You know, I don't know. But I do feel like it helped them and it helped them process. And then the other thing she did was like, they never had to clean up after themselves. Cause she's like, it's like you're working your emotional stuff out and then you have to go clean it up. You know, she, she would clean it up. She would let them make a mess, let them process, work through it. And then they got to leave. I guess that was kind of what a session was like. And she just, with her knowledge of kids and her way of looking at it, she could tell that they're processing different things. Thank you for sharing that. And I also love that you mentioned that during this time, you knew that you had to take care of yourself. And so many times mothers, they go through this kind of like martyr syndrome where we're sacrificing everything, every bone of us for our kids and our family. But it almost took something like this to happen for you to be like, no, like I need to take care of myself. I need to work on me and focus on kind of working through the PTSD 
And so how was that like for you? Did it feel a little strange to think about yourself so much during this time? Or did it feel like something that just like came naturally to you? I would say it almost felt more natural. Like I, not in the sense that was just that I knew I needed to. It felt like there was so much on my plate that I couldn't handle. And even just like, it feels like grief and loss, like took every ounce of like pride of all this stuff that I had, you know, the going to give everything to my kids, martyr syndrome, whatever it's called, because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do what I thought I quote unquote should do. So I had to let go of all of it and um, really just focus on that because I, I wanted to be able to, that was like my biggest driving motivator is I wanted to feel in control of my mind and my body. And I wanted to be the mom that I wanted to be for my kids. And neither of those were possible. And so I had to let go of everything. And I had to, I knew that going to therapy and I did EMDR for my trauma, I knew that those were helping me. So I had to make them a priority. And then I also had to let go of pride and let people help us. That was a huge thing too. Like, it's so hard to get so much help from people. Like we always want to be on the giving end, right? We don't want to be on the receiving end, but I had to let go of all that pride. And whenever anybody offered anything, I said, yes, please. Thank you. I appreciate it. Need that kind of stuff rather than like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. We're doing fine. It's almost like finally being able to live in your truest self where you're able to say, this is how I actually feel. And this is what I need. And thank you for being here for me and helping me out. Whereas most of us, we're always just like, I'm fine. I'm good. Right. Like I can handle it. But it's almost like you have to completely deplete everything in you for you to be able to say, okay, I do need this for myself and I do need your help. And this is like who I am right now. And so be it. Which is like, I don't know why it has, it doesn't always have to be that way. For me, it did end up being that way. For some reason, we think if we're not doing it all ourselves, we're failing. And it's like, you know what, when things are hard, people want to help, people want to be there. And when you deny somebody the gift of offering you help, it feels good to give to other people, right? And so when you don't let other people help you, you're denying them that gift of being able to help you. It's a hard thing. But it's so, for me, it was really crucial in letting people help me. I mean, all this work that I've done has gotten to me to where I am today. And I would not be where I am without doing all the work that I've done. What did grieving look like for you? I know everyone deals with grief a little differently. Yeah, the number one thing I was told um, when she died that I clearly remember was that there was no way going, um, like getting through grief, but through grief. Like you have to go through it. You have to feel it. And so I'm really grateful that I was told that right away. So I knew that I had to let myself feel and like feeling the sadness and letting myself cry, letting myself scream, letting myself make noises that I didn't even know were possible. And I knew that I had to feel those. And every time I felt them, they're so intense, so painful. But every time I felt it, then it got lighter and it kind of like that grief wave went away. And it got softer and then it could come again. It could come again and again and again, but I could ride through that wave and feel it. So for me, like there's a lot of times people talk about like the five stages of grief and the five stages of grief are 
not what grief looks like. Um, it's not, there's no step-by-step process. It's not like a stages that you just move through and everything's good. You get your acceptance and you're fine. I think of it more as like a web of emotions, like a ping pong that just the ball bounces around everywhere. I could feel sadness in one moment. I could just be laughing the next moment. I could be falling again the next moment. Like it was just, I could feel happiness and sadness at the same time. And I remember asking my therapist, like, what's wrong with me? I feel like I'm kind of happy at one time and I'm also sad. And he's like, well, what's wrong with feeling both of them at the same time? I was like, oh, I didn't know you could feel two emotions at the same time. And that's what kind of bittersweet comes from, you know, then that's kind of what all the emotions that I feel nowadays are that it's always super sad, super happy at the same time, like different things that come up. I definitely spent a lot of time crying, a lot of time looking at, for me, looking at pictures and videos of her and going through her clothes. Those were probably my, they're my way of connecting with her and just really talking about her. I talked about her a lot Um, talked about what happened a lot. I had talked about my emotions and my feelings and what I was going through. I'm an external processor. So I had many people that I called all the time on the phone over and over. And I'm so grateful for all the people who listened to me and had that time because I probably repeated myself a lot. You know, it's like, I just had to process it and work through it. And that's what you have to do. You just have to keep going it's almost like you have to keep going over and over and over it until are able to process it. And like, it takes a long time. And even now, I feel like my brain doesn't like fully register that, like, how did this happen? Did this really happen? Did we really have a daughter that died? Like, how does that happen? It's, it's hard to process that. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. I mean, I feel like it has to be a little bit of both, right? Which is like internal processing, which is like sitting with yourself, sitting in the grief um, and having those quiet moments with yourself and, you know, whether it be her stuff or photos, but then also the external factor, as you mentioned, which is almost like talking and sharing with people how you're feeling and the things that you're actually going through because that is a way of being able to process, right? As you mentioned, it almost feels like you have to do both in order to to get to the place you want to be eventually, right? Yeah, that's actually a huge part of my work that I do now. I do I do combine both of them, but something I've found is that so often we get focused on the talking, like because therapy has been promoted so much, which is amazing. And I highly encourage everybody to go to therapy we get focused on the talking, like, oh, let's just keep talking, talking, talking about it. But the other aspect, like you said, is the feeling, is sitting with it, is doing those things. They can be by yourself or like I do a lot of guided things with the moms I work with that help them process the feelings. But it's like so often the pain is so great in our bodies that we don't want to feel it. It feels like those emotions are going to kill you. They're too intense. They're too strong. And so we'd rather talk about it or we'd rather try to distract ourselves or numb it in some way because it's so painful. And so that's a whole nother thing of like just being able to sit with your feelings and process them and know that your body is a safe place to experience grief and grief is a normal and natural response to loss. I think I remember reading this. I think it was in one of Glennon Doyle's books, but she said, 
feel it all. It's important to feel all the emotions. And I think human nature, we're so conditioned to want to select what we want to feel, which is the great feelings, right? The happy times, the positive things. But to become a complete human, a whole human, you have to understand how all of these emotions feel. And it's really important that we normalize and encourage people to feel all the emotions. And I am so glad that, that that's what you encourage as well. Yeah, I first heard this kind of thing from um, Brene Brown. She had a quote about if you numb the negative emotions or quote unquote negative, you are also numbing the positive. So we don't get to selectively numb and choose which ones that we're numbing. When we numb the painful emotions, we're numbing all of our possibility of our whole experience of our life. And so that's totally what I try to encourage people is like the more that you feel your feelings, you're not going to, I mean, you might go there for a little bit. You might go into a depressed state for a little while and it might feel like it's never going to end, but that's also a part of grief. And when you let yourself be there and feel it, that's when you can get out of it and feel the other stuff too. I think when you go through the dark times, the happy times definitely feel, I guess, rare in a sense. And it just feels like that much more escalated. And that's why it's so important to walk through these emotions and these grieving times. I also read that you have, because you do a lot of this work now with other women that are going through this, you talk about you have tools that actually help people that actually walk through these hardships. Can you share with us some of these tools that you actually teach your clients? Yes. So I do from, like I was saying, from two different perspectives, like the the feeling and the talking. The talking is more like I, it's like top down processing and bottom up processing. That's more like the coaching that I do. It's working through the thoughts because our thoughts create our feelings. And so often we have thought patterns that we don't even realize that we have that create so much more suffering in grief, there's something I say of, I help moms learn to live with grief rather than suffer with grief because grief itself is painful. It's hard. It's intense. But then with our thoughts, we add so much suffering on top of it. So it's things like I could have done something to save my child. It's my fault. Guilt does not ever serve, but so often we feel guilt. I don't know a mom or even somebody who has lost somebody else in their life who has not felt guilt there? I mean, if you haven't, that's totally, you don't need to also start feeling guilt that you don't feel guilt, but it is there, but then we can work through it and notice the thoughts, process the guilt and the feelings of that guilt so that you don't have to live with it the rest of your life. So the thoughts, you notice the thoughts, okay, this isn't serving me anymore. And you work through that, but it's more becoming aware that you're even thinking that in the first place. And then you can choose on purpose if you want to keep believing that or if you want to work through it. So that's a whole thing that I do with them from the thought perspective. And then we do a lot of processing in the body too, because I believe that we have to feel it. We have to sit with it. And so I do a lot of guided meditations um, with them. I have recorded ones like in a program that they can do, or when we do live coaching, like one-on-one or in my group programs. I do them with all of them, but different meditations to help them begin to connect with their body first, because sometimes with grief and other things, like if there's any trauma that has come up, we 
separate ourselves from our bodies um, because it's so painful. So we try to come out of our bodies. So I help them begin to ground back into their bodies to feel, begin to feel the sensations in their bodies in a way that's not overwhelming for them. Because if you do go too quickly, you can be overwhelmed. So you just have to go at what feels right for you. But I help them process the emotions. We learn how to feel and name our emotions. I have a lot of different, yeah, it's mainly meditations, um, emotional freedom technique. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like a tapping. Um, We do that specifically for grief and the emotions of grief and the thought work, visualizations, all that kind of stuff. That's incredible because I also do believe that people like to distract themselves from grief, right? And, but my coping mechanism has always been work, right? So instead of me sitting there and grieving about something, I'll just start working like crazy and I will overproduce in anything. And because I'm seeing something positive come out of my grief, uh, which I don't necessarily associate it with that, like when I'm in there at the time, but it's almost my coping mechanism where it makes me feel better. It's almost like my drug where it's like, okay, I don't have to sit with it. I could just work and work and work and like, I won't feel it anymore. Right. And so do you encourage people to have different coping mechanisms? Yeah. So there's many different things that you can do that are coping mechanisms that help you process at the same time. So it could be journaling, it could be exercising, movement, moving your body, all of these things that I talk about, meditations, and even having somebody like me guide you through that, it's easier because when you're by yourself, you're like, ah, I don't want to feel that. I think I'll just be done. But if I can help guide you through it, it's like, like my clients have said, it's like when I help them bring up the emotion, if they're by themselves, they're like, oh my gosh, this emotion's up. Now what do I do with it? So then they shove it back down because they're like, I don't know what to do with this emotion. They brought it up. But when I can help them bring it up and then process it and it's like, it disappears and kind of like flows away rather than they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to shove it back down. One thing that's really important is when you talk about coping mechanisms is we might have something that we use, like you said, you um, worked and use work as a way to kind of like numbing what's going on inside of you. There's nothing wrong with coping mechanisms, but becoming aware of when you are numbing and trying to hide and ignore those emotions, the more you become aware and get curious about your coping mechanisms, what you're doing, the more awareness you can have of what you're doing in your life, and then you can decide what you want to do. So I think it's super important to have coping mechanisms because we don't need to do grief work 24-7 of our lives. It's exhausting. It's a lot of work. It's tiring. And sometimes we just need a break. Sometimes you do need to just be able to go work and be like, I need to not think about, not feel anything else but work. And those are blessings to have that kind of thing. But then it's important as well to acknowledge that we do need to feel and we do need to make time for that because the longer that you push it off, you're just building up the grief underneath the water. You're building up the grief underneath the surface and it's not going away. It's not going anywhere by you ignoring it. So the sooner that you can begin to take it out and hold it and process it, the more space you will have for yourself in your life rather than like trying to, it's like you're trying to run away from something in your life. So you have to keep busy all the time, right? Rather than being able to sit down and slow down and not have that thing that's looming behind you all the time. 
that you can feel it going to come crash on you, you can not be so scared of it. It's not so scary. At what point in your experience were you like, okay, I can see some hope. I could, I could feel a little bit of hope where I could see myself happy again. Was there a defining moment for you? You know, I think it kind of like came and went for me. It wasn't like a, okay, now I have hope and I stayed there. For me, one thing that a friend had told me about a therapist, when you find a therapist that they should, in order to have a good one that you can connect with is one that you can connect with them, that you can feel safe to share with them and work through. And then the other, that every time you left their session, with session with them, that you felt hope. And for me, I would say that was true. So it was pretty early on that I was able to feel that hope, but it would be like after a therapy session where I could leave. And I was just like, I had so many thoughts, like, I'm going to be okay. I can get through this. Like my life isn't over. I remember thinking that many times, but then you have like those moments of like, I'm never going to have that free joy again. I'm never going to feel that laughter come out of me. That feels so uninhibited. I'm not going to have that. That's what I thought, you know? And so hearing from other people too, like moms who had gone before me in this already, who were a few years down the road when they told me that there is hope or that they had felt joy again, it was like, okay, I need to hear that kind of stuff from other people. And I don't know, it's different for everybody. And for me, maybe around a year was when I started to feel it more often, but it just kind of comes and goes. And I think that's the way life is too. Like even now we can you know, feel a lot of joy and happiness. And then all of a sudden we can feel a lot of depression and sadness and the weight of grief and all of that. And it's just like, the more I understand that that's normal and it's a part of life, it's not all bad. It's just is a part of my life. And you talk about walking side by side with grief and joy. Is that something that you still do currently is having both emotions, both feelings? Yep. And for me, walking side by side with grief and joy means that in the beginning, I fought grief so much. I was like, I don't want grief to be a part of my life. I don't like this feeling. I don't, you know, it would come up and you'd be like, oh my gosh, here it is again, like panicky. You don't want to go through this again. And now I know that it's normal, that grief, I will grieve the rest of my life. That for me, grief means that I miss my daughter. It means that it's like when I feel the grief, I'm like, yes, she was real. She was a part of my life. I will never forget her. I don't fight the grief. I don't say that the grief is bad. It's just when it comes, when the wave comes, I allow it. And I'm like, oh, I know you. I know you well. And it's okay that you're here. And then when joy comes, when I have moments of joy, I also welcome the joy. So that's what I mean by walking with grief and joy. It's it's not fighting or saying I'm not supposed to be grieving. I'm not supposed to be feeling this way. I'm not supposed to be happy. I'm not supposed to be laughing. It's whatever emotion comes up for me, allowing it and knowing that this is normal. It's okay for me to feel this and there's nothing wrong with me. It's almost like welcoming two very different kinds of friends into your life and accepting them, right? One might be someone that you don't love as much to see, but... (laughs) They still exist in your life and that's grief. And that is something that I've also come to realize and accept is that grief is just part of life and you have to embrace all emotions. And, you know, there's no one else but anyone like you to to be able to experience and share your experience with those people that are currently going through that. So 
Thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. And if you could give one advice to the parents out there, whether they're grieving a child, grieving something in their life, what would that advice be? The one thing I always say is just be kind and compassionate with yourself. We can judge ourselves so much in grief. We can judge that we're doing it wrong, that we're not doing it fast enough. We're doing it whatever too fast or what's wrong with me. We have all these judgments and thoughts. And I just want to say you're going through such a hard time, the hardest thing ever. And to just give yourself grace, compassion, know that it's hard and that you're not alone. And that when you can allow yourself to feel your feelings and allow the full expression of grief to be a part of your life, um, there's nothing wrong with you. It just, you are grieving and, and allow that time and space for yourself and do what you need to do. Thank you. That's amazing. And if people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find everything at meganhillica.com. That's my website. It's H-I-L-L-U-K-K-A. But then I, so I have a podcast called Grieving Moms Podcast. I have a mini course um, that talks about helping, it helps moms work through the feelings like we were talking about. I was, you know, it's called stop talking, start feeling. It's all about feeling the emotions, helping it has meditations and emotional freedom technique tools in there. And that's at stop talking, start feeling, but everything you can find at meganhillica.com. And so I have one-on-one coaching, group coaching, all that stuff. So you can look on there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was incredibly inspiring. And your story is one that touches many people's hearts, including mine. So thank you for sharing and spending your afternoon with me. Well, thank you so much for even opening up the space to have this kind of conversation. I know a lot of people are really scared to talk about grief and child loss and baby loss and all this stuff. And so I really appreciate that you're holding the space for that because it's so important to talk about. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Megan. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you liked it, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It really is the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more of us, head over to our Instagram and follow us there at Bumo Parent. And to learn more about Bumo Brain Virtual School, follow us at Bumo Brain or head over to BumoBrain.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.